We're going to talk about some movies and stuff and plot lines, and these plot lines will be spoiled. Indeed. So any movie or TV show you ever hear us mention on any show, really, consider that to be like a piece of fruit that you leave on your counter. You mean to get to it, but mm. eventually, slowly over time, three weeks or so pass, and it's become brown and nasty, and this <laughs> becomes this thing. From another world. <laughs> right. So anyway, please enjoy the show. Thank you for your participation. Transmission begin. Welcome to your nightmares. <laughs> okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> me, me llamo Di Matteo. <laughs> oh, shit. I forgot to switch it to English. It's still on Spanish. Sorry. There we go. Try it again, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Timothy. Yes, and I am Derek. What are we going to talk about, Derek? What are we going to oh, talk about on this special... Oh, hold, on, hold on, hold on. You're not giving me enough time to make it Halloween-y sounding enough, okay? Cue the thunder woman screaming wolf howl mm. and organ music mm, okay now it is an official halloween episode right right i think with the uh, topic we're gonna jibber jabber on is uh basically horror trends and how uh, a lot like a, a pot on a stove with water in it it can boil up and almost simmer over you take it off it simmers back down you, you can always put it right back on there and it'll simmer back up again you know what i'm saying right yeah right mm -hmm. that's a, the analogy of the gods right there Derek. <laughs> yes yes it is you, you know what they say from uh, god's lips to my ears to your ears <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, uh, whatever. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so today's topic is horror trends. And basically what we mean by that is like every now and again, a horror movie will come out and it'll start a trend. A trend of those kind of movies will come out. And then another one will come out and start a new trend. Sometimes two at the same time. Movies like... Um, Say zombie movies and right. ghost stories mm -hmm. and slasher films. And we're going right. to talk about kind of like those genres through the years and how one would take over the other. And Right. Yeah. Which ones became real prominent. You, right. only, you can almost mark them in time. Like if I think of the 80s, yeah. I think of slasher films. Yeah, especially 1980. And mm -hmm. then it kicks in bananas crazy till like almost through the whole decade. Right. And then also how trends, they start to fade out. And then right at the end of the fade, mm -hmm. they come back really strong. Give it a new life that sometimes can last like maybe a few years or even another whole decade. Right. Right. 
Well, you're a younger gentleman than I, sir. I sure am. Uh, <laughs> what, are, what are your uh, first recollections as far as horror films go? Well, um, that would be the 1953 Vincent Price film House of Wax. I'm rebuilding my exhibition from the ground up. I'm going to give the people what they want. Sensation, horror, shock. I remember loving that movie for some reason as a very young child I saw it and really loving it. And for some reason as a kid I really liked black and white movies. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was really into that. I was really into the fact that they were wax right. because at the time I was super into uh, action figures. And I was like, this guy's making his own life-size action figures. This guy's awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, Vincent Price, how could you? How dare you? He's just a thriller. Can you dig it? <laughs> well, he's not. Vincent Price is not. He's just announcing the thrill. Mm-hmm. Mm I beg to differ, and I don't know why. I have nothing to back it up with. <laughs> it's just because you're just feeling ornery. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's my story of my first one. Well, who took your horror virginity, Tim? Uh, I was like a young child in the mid to late 70s, so it, it's kind of hard to remember being as old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, my sister and I used to watch a lot of, like, chiller theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, which was a popular thing on the television when I was a kid back east. And um, so there's a ton. And then, you know, I, and I also, there's obviously the universal classics, like, you know, Frankenstein and right. Dracula and Wolfman and all that kind of stuff would come on TV. Evil spell. Pentagram. Wolfbane. Oh, I'm sick of the whole thing. I'm going to get out of here. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Then, the, you know, there are Abbott and Costello counterparts. Right. My sister and I would watch those quite a bit, too. Count Dracula sleeps in this coffin but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. But, like, as far as, like, contemporary for the time, I would think one of the ones... I don't know if I ever saw the whole thing through, but I saw parts of Amityville, the uh, James Brolin one. So you saw that at a pretty young age then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, pretty much when it was relatively new. Okay. But I don't... Like I said, I don't know if I was I managed to make it all the way through it or not. I right. can't remember for sure. There's another one, too, because I was watching it. I, I came across it on TV. And I was like weirdly watching this old haunted house kind of movie and going, wait, I've seen this before. Back in like 1981 or something with my aunt, I think I was watching it. Anyway, it's, it's something to do. It's a similar setup. It's older than Amityville, though. It's like it's like an early 70s, mid 70s movie. And, and uh, it's something about this family that moves into this house and the father starts getting a little kind of like an Amityville horror. The father starts getting taken over by the spirits and he gets aggressive with his son in the pool. Betty Davis is playing like their old grandmother who's like decrepit in this bed in this room. Oh, yeah. You know, burnt offerings. Yes, that's it. Isn't Burgess Meredith in that, too? Yeah, Burgess Meredith, right. Oliver Reed. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you are the people who want to rent this house, is that right? Um, yes, well, we were just discussing terms with your um, lady. I remember seeing that as a really young kid, too, and, and not really knowing much about what was going on, but just being creeped out by mm -hmm. it. Yeah, wow. and that's a 
that's a ghost story, you know. Right. Well, it sounds like, by the best of my memory anyway, the story that I tell is pretty much my first horror movie was a man killing people to keep his wax sculptures in stock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then your introduction to horror sounds more like it was monster-based or ghost-based, somewhere in that category. Right, right. Outside of, like, all the creature feature shit that I... Like, the crawling eye. And right. Sh- you know, like, the I married an alien and stuff like that. Right. All those, like, 50s kind of kitschy things. And the Godzilla stuff, too, which you know, mm-hmm. doesn't really count. Yeah, no, definitely not. Because I remember watching the Godzilla movies for sure as a kid and never being... Scared. Scared, right. Right, Or right. anything about it. I was just thinking it was fucking cool. Right. Uh, one of the first ones that kind of kick off what I would say is a genre of slasher would be probably 1960s uh, Psycho. Yeah, for sure. It definitely changes because the threat coming out of the 50s was always either like this subhuman monster or an alien from outer space, right? right? And the genius behind Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho is he makes the scariest thing that can be a, just a regular meek dude. You know, right? And I think that's why it stands the test of time because humanity is the monster, I guess. Yeah, right, right. Which is more realistic. Another thing is pretty early on in doing. If you look at it from today's perspective, is it's looking at mental illness too. Yeah, in a time when that shit wasn't. Right. Yeah, you were just locked away in a hospital if you were considered mentally ill. Right, yeah. And if you were misbehaving, they would either give you shock treatment... Right, right. ...or they would put a needle in your brain and stir till you was vegetable soup. Right. There's a, a very negative public connotation to any kind of psychotherapy and uh, needing right. help, basically. It's a sign right. of weakness. Good afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel tucked away off the main highway and as you see perfectly harmless looking when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime yeah there's that and then you know essentially he is a serial killer you know because he's killing but at the point in 1960 we're about 15 years away from that phrase even being invented. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the evidence in the film clearly points to him being a serial killer, not only because he kills Marion Crane. Mm-hmm. He killed his mother, obviously, but he's also really resourceful in how he cleans up the crime scene, what he does with the body, puts it in that trunk, takes the card out to that swamp, watches it sink, and he mm-hmm. gleefully watching it and has a hesitation when he's yeah, he's right. eating the, the, what is it? I think he's eating an apple. Yeah. Is he eating an apple? Yeah, I think he is. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's, he's eating something. I couldn't remember what it was, but he's eating something. It stops sinking. He gets this kind of, uh-oh. Yeah, because he, like, <laughs> he half bites the apple, I think, and like right. his eyes get a little big. Right. And then the, it starts to sink again, and then he just can the eyes yep. go back to normal. He keeps eating. Right. Meaning like he's practiced technique. Right. You know, he's built a technique, which is... It's interesting that they're even putting this into a story because that whole um, psychopathy of that serial killer thing hadn't even been 
thought of by anybody, you know? I mean, loosely by certain people, they kind of were like, well, you know, you know I, but it was never really taken seriously until the 70s, you know? Right, yeah. And I mean, that's aside from Psycho just being a brilliant film made by a brilliant director. It's visually stunning to look at even today. It's just a brilliant film that introduces a human monster to the genre that is caught up on a lot of space villains and monsters and all of that stuff. So Yeah, it's it's an adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. It's an adaptation of a book. Yeah, it's a 1959 book by Robert Block, same name, Psycho. Uh, Hitchcock saw the book, read it, realized it was a great book, didn't want anyone to know the ending, went out, bought up all the copies of the book. That way no one would go see the movie knowing the ending. Right, and because of the spoiler thing, he also changed movie going forever. Because uh, before this time, where you could go buy a ticket to... This was 1960. You could go buy a ticket to a movie and walk in whenever you wanted. And people did right. it on regular basis. Yep. And Hitchcock basically, because of the fact that the lady gets killed so early on and all that right. stuff... And it, the ending. He basically made the, all the theaters around the country that were showing it lock people out, you know, like uh, not allow people to come in yep. after the movie started. And then that set a trend that continues to this day well i don't know about that people still come right, in late but right. anyway, he basically told the theaters if you want to play my movie if people don't buy a ticket before it starts they can't get in yeah and we take that for granted now and it just seems like a regular you know thing mm. but that was that wasn't the way it was before in the in say 1959 and, mm-hmm. and prior now if you could just take people's cell phones away and tell them <laughs> to shut up before when they sit down everything would be great right but anyway uh, i digress mm-hmm yeah, so that's a that's a cool movie, and 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 then it's kind of like a predecessor to the slasher film. What be, kind of becomes mm-hmm. the slasher film? It's not, I wouldn't really call it a slasher movie, no, necessarily, no. but no, it's it, it kind of sets the the foundation for that to come down the road, you know? Yeah, totally. And even though it's not, I wouldn't consider it or say it's a slasher film. It has all the ingredients of it, right. and it does start to slowly, not right away, slowly starts to build towards human being more of the villain instead of these monster films that we've had up till this time. Right. So then we find ourselves still in the 60s, moving up to 1968, and something really big happens, whereas Night of the Living Dead comes out. Now, this is not an instant paradigm change when this movie comes out. It's a very slow, long burn. Right. Of this thing being out and playing in theaters over and second-run theaters over, drive-ins over and over and over, and, be- and building up this reputation on it. But what happens is, is it's 1968 is Night of the Living Dead by George Romero and crew and company who helped to make this thing. The film got hot in France, and then a few of the critics that had slammed on it here noticed that the French were noticing it, and they decided to notice it. And, you know, within three years, it was in the Museum of Modern Art. And I'm going, what? (laughs) What is unique about it is that it takes something that's been in horror movies since, like, early movies of, like, the 20s and 30s, which is a zombie. But instead of relegating that villain, if you will, to the control of, like, voodoo or Dracula or something like that, it, it brings it to, like, there is something that makes this character come alive that we don't know about it's undead coming back and they uh, the other big thing that probably keeps it ingrained in culture until this day is that they eat flesh right right yeah they're reanimated 
corpses, basically. Right. Because the the actual the original what a zombie really is is from voodoo culture folklore is basically when somebody has been um, by a spell taking over and is under somebody's mind control essentially. Right. And uh, that's you know you, throughout like Haitian cultures and stuff like that. That's where that whole thing comes from. And some I don't know if Romero had anything to do with this or did the culture apply the zombie title to his characters, right. the Living Dead. Right. Yeah, and that's never used in um, the movie. The movie, right? right. The, the term ghoul is used in the script mostly. Right. And in the movie, they say ghoul or those things are monsters. Right. But they never use zombie. That name ends up being bestowed upon the film and the creatures in the film and then by the time Romero gets to his second dead film then the term is used and embraced. And then it sticks and, it, and we that's what we know and then the, so much so to the point of where the whole voodoo definition of a zombie is pr- pretty much forgotten about you know what I mean? Right. For a while until like up into the I think end of the 80s when uh, Wes Craven does that serpent in a rainbow. Movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and how much staying power did that have? You know? <laughs> right. Right. Don't let them bury me. I'm not dead. The Serpent and the Rainbow. So if 1960 ends up giving us the birth of what could be eventually becoming a slasher film with Psycho, and then in 1968 we get the birth of the zombie film with Night of the Living Dead... In 1969 and 1973, there are two movies that I think kind of solidify what will end up becoming the exorcism film or the devil film or the possession film or paranormal film, if you will. And that's in 1969 with Rosemary's Baby. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? He has his father's eyes. And especially in 1973 with The Exorcist. The power of Christ compels you. That's the power of right. Christ. Right. Plenty of ghost movies before that. Going yeah, all the way tons, back. Tons, plenty, tons. plenty of it. But this one, this movie is still, I think, today considered one of the best horror movies ever made. Oh, right. Yeah. It's always, one up, of, always up there. Yeah, right. And uh, it kind of was a game changer for a lot of people. And, and it, you know, it was one of those ones that people would pass out in the theater kind of thing you know right kind of like um phantom of the opera did in like the 1920s (laughs) i remember seeing probably like 2013 maybe they re-released it for Mm -hmm. a anniversary or something like that and i remember watching it at the theater with extra footage in it right yeah that was the big gimmick i think it was actually i I remember doing this with my kung fu friends so this would have there was a big to do about it being in theaters again and it would have been around 2000 or 1999 ish i think Okay. I want to say in 2013, because it's been quite a few years that they re-released it again, maybe just because it was part of a horror release for Halloween or something, but I ended up seeing it again within the last, like, eight, nine years in the theater, thinking, I need to see this on a big screen. So I went to see it and everything. And I, I, I'm not one that would personally praise this movie for being a great movie, but I think it's there's a lot of incredible elements in it and the thing that's really great about it is it's, it doesn't let you off the hook and it's very uncomfortable because you're watching a little girl have to do all of these things yeah. and all of this stuff very adult and stuff it's, yeah. yeah it's dealing with a lot of this stuff so it has an edge to it that I don't think has ever been dulled <laughs> right and so basically with these three movies we're talking about the foundations of three different subgenres of horror which is right the slasher film the zombie movie and the 
ghost film, which like paranormal, yeah, paranormal stuff. They just kind of have this rise and fall throughout the next uh, decades up until now, right? And uh, multiple times, right? You know, sometimes with the people who helped create some of the genres that we're going to be talking about, they return to that genre to beat the dead horse, if you will. Yeah. So, well, I'll say let's um let's start with the zombie genre then for the, through the seventies there and and. Do do you remember what what your first zombie movie was that you were, you saw? Well, the first time I ever witnessed a zombie on film would have to be in uh, Creepshow. Right. Yeah. That that for sure was the first time I'd ever witnessed a zombie on film in that little short story in Creepshow, the uh, uh, Happy Father's Day. So seeing that one, how grotesque it was, really freaked me out, but also intrigued me a bit. And then the next time I saw a full zombie film was uh, the original Night of the Living Dead by George Romero. (laughs) They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Funny you should say that because I think for me it was Night of the Living Dead, but through the eyes of Mad Movies from the LA Connection. Which was like a precursor to Mystery Science Theater 3000. And it was in in the 80s. Okay. All right. They would do like these live riffing things and record it, you know, and then put it out on TV where they were, you know, these people were kind of redoing the dialogue over this over these movies and and it was really fucking funny like every right. you know how they keep showing the same zombie walking through the right, right, right. through the thing every time they showed that guy one of the uh, ad libbers would go telegram <laughs> <laughs> as if he kept on showing. <laughs> yeah and i remember the other thing i remember from that mad movies thing was at the very end there's something about they're looking for a, a head of lettuce or something like that. <laughs> and uh, when she finds that lady's head torn off through the staircase. Oh, yeah. Or yeah she top, sees of, it, top of the stairs. Yeah. The ad libber goes, ooh, that one's gone bad. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the only thing I, re- I remember from that shit. But that was kind of like, but like within like a legitimate viewing of a serious zombie movie, it would have been Zombie, the Italian film. Really? I remember watching that with my mother and it just instantly being like, whoa. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Fulci. Because it was pretty pretty freaking gory. Oh, pretty yeah. Pretty intense. Well, it's Italian. That's Fulci's zombie and it's Italian. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> the Italians, of course, they used to take something popular and then pour a little Parmesan cheese, <laughs> make it their own, yeah. put it out there and, and, and make right. the mockbuster is basically what it was. But uh, Fulci's zombie actually does have a direct connection to Dawn of the Dead, the sequel to Night of the Living Dead from George Romero. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, there's an Italian director by the name of Dario Argento who is really well known in uh, Italy. He's known here too by directing films like Suspiria, the original Suspiria that is in Deep Red, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He was, Argento was, a big fan of Night of the Living Dead from George Romero. So somehow he came in contact with George Romero, basically said, you need to make a sequel. We really want you to make a sequel. And if you want to come over to Italy, I'll put you up in one of my villas. You can spend all your time, rest, relax, and write that sequel. And then I will get 
Italian distributors to cover one half of the budget. You can get American distributors to cover the other half of the budget. You can do your film the way you want to do it. And that ends up becoming what happens with uh, Dawn of the Dead. That's how Dawn of the Dead gets made. And that's in 1978. Dawn of the Dead is released. Yeah, right. Granddad was a priest in Trinidad. Used to tell us, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. So through the deal that Romero and Argento made, Mm -hmm. Romero gets to cut the film the way he wants to cut it for American audiences. But Argento gets to cut it the way he wants to cut it for Italian audiences. He also renames it Zombie over there. So when it's released in Italy, it's known as Zombie. And Argento also has the right to make his own sequel to that movie, which becomes Zombie 2. Or as we know it, Zombie, the first zombie film you got to see. Ah, okay. So Argento basically brings in Lucio Fulci. She lets him direct Zombie 2, and uh, that film is just amazing. I really like that one. It's gory, and there's boobs, and I love it. Yeah, all right. Well, I kind of that was kind of like a early hardcore gore introduction to me, so that one I did eventually see probably pretty shortly after um, Return of the Living Dead. Ooh, wow. Nice. Great. I already kind of set a craving for that kind of stuff because there's a lot mm-hmm. of cool gore in Return of the Living Dead, too. Yeah. Yeah, 1985 was an incredible year for zombie movies because not only did we get Return of the Living Dead, but George Romero returned with Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing to me about this is is that George Romero's Day of the Dead actually came out before Return of the Living Dead that year. And it didn't do that well. Return of the Living Dead actually did better. And another thing that Return of the Living Dead actually brings to the table is that it's bringing new things to the zombie genre. Right, uh, right. It's a bit of a paradigm shift in the zombie genre, if you will, because it's introducing new things that the zombies do. Like they're moving a little faster. They're actually talking. Mm-hmm. Um, the brain's... The brains thing too that oh. kind of starts with that yeah huge that's a big one not just flesh anymore but they have to specifically eat brains in that one mm-hmm. and they actually give you a reason too the one explains that it eases the pain or something like right. that right and it's a little cheeky it's not overly cheeky return of the living the dead return of the yeah, living dead yeah it's a comedy horror in the, yeah, in yeah, the vein yeah, of sure. army uh evil dead or evil dead 2 i should say or uh, american werewolf in london it's like a horror comedy Right. And so it's aware of itself, whereas, you know, Romero's uh, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead has some levity in it, too. But the levity comes out of situations Mm -hmm. in the situation of the movie, whereas the zombie topic is taken pretty serious. Return of the Living Dead is definitely winking at the genre a bit. Mm -hmm. You can kind of introduce a little bit of the zombie thing mixed with a little bit of the paranormal thing that was in Evil Dead in 1981 because in 87, by the time Evil Dead 2 comes out, that's bringing a lot of that stuff together. So you've got the undead, which is possessed by things, you know what I mean? They're playing with a lot of genre. Yeah, a lot of genres mixed in, right? Yeah. Groovy. But but as far as like the... the more basic zombie as we know it today kind of thing. It kind of dies off after these two movies. Yeah, there's still movies about them, but they're just not doing as well. They're not introducing anything new to the genre or anything, and there's just basically like Return of the Living Dead 2. That thing comes out in 87, 88. Yeah. 
and it uh, it's just a straight out comedy with right. horror elements in right, it. and it's right. it, in my opinion it's awful right right same here yeah and there's a, there's several sequels more sequels yeah. going on through the 90s and stuff but it, nothing really ever really catches a whole lot of traction no until so there is one movie that when I was working at the video store I discovered it's basically a foreign film and it didn't really get a whole lot of huge play in America. I don't think it ever I don't I don't even think it ever played in the theaters here or you know. But I remember it showing up at the video store called Dead Alive and I think my my friend at work there watched it and was like, "Dude, you have to check this movie out." And I'm like, "Oh, and this oh. was 92, right?" It might have been a year afterwards or so, like okay. 93, so 94. In the 90s. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in the in the early 90s, yeah. In that dead zone of zombie right. nothingness. Right, yeah. yeah. And um, I watched that movie, and I immediately fell in love with it. It, it is really? ridiculously bonkers gory, and it's hilarious. Now, again, if, if I watched it today, I wonder if it still would be as funny. <laughs> right. Because I right. haven't seen it then, but... Yeah, right. it's a farce. It's it's definitely a horror comedy, but it's beyond bloody. There's this part in the middle where this nerdy guy who's in love with this girl, kind of like trying to get the girl, and he accidentally causes a zombie outbreak amongst and his. I think his mother is like the first one that turned to a zombie. He's basically like the town nerd, and um, he mows lawns or something like that. So then this shit happens or whatever. And at a certain point, obviously, the entire freaking little, this little tiny New Zealand town are all zombies. And he's like one of the few humans left. And he takes his lawnmower and ties a rope from the front wheel. It's one of those push mowers, you know, with the pull cord, you know, the old. Right. He takes it and, and with a rope on two of the side wheels and hangs it around his neck. And the, as the crowd of zombies are coming at him, he pulls the ripcord and starts the lawnmower and just starts running through the crowd. Oh my god. And there's like arms and legs and, <laughs> and, and just heads go flying. And then he comes out the other side and he's just covered in blood and he just kind of makes a big sigh and then he turns around and then runs back through him again. And <laughs> there's more arms. And I uh, was blown away, you know, because it was that same thing of like with Return of the Living Dead and all that stuff right. where it, it had humor to it and it had some pretty fun practical gore in it and anytime you have practical right. gore i'm in so uh right yeah i remember that one sitting with me and telling people about it for years later and who would have thought the, the director of that film would go on to be who he is right and that you know i didn't even know until he became famous from lord of the rings that that was he was that was his movie because he wasn't that's a, the peter jackson yeah he, he, he <laughs> like someone had said peter jackson known from some you know the frighteners right. and dead alive and i'm like no way he did that alive <laughs> yeah i've never even heard of it i barely even knew what new zealand was back then <laughs> in the early 90s <laughs> right right <laughs> there's something other than america <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> They're like Australians, but not Australians? That's weird. This is Mr. Bridges. Where you been? I started. I live four doors down. Were you bitten? Oh. Did any of the blood get in your mouth? I would say somewhere around the early 2000s, maybe when uh, yeah. 28 Days Later comes out with uh, yeah, 2002. Kill yep. Killian Murphy. Yeah, and then, you know, you and I have had this discussion before. So the Walking Dead comic comes out like a year later. It's hard not to notice that they both 
28 Days Later opens exactly the same way as uh, The Walking Dead does. With uh, right, right. Guy comes out of a coma, and while he was in a coma, the whole zombie apocalypse had happened. Right. So it went down. And you got to wonder what, who, which one came first, and how. You know what I mean? Right. It's only a, yeah. a year apart. You know, but you got to figure if 28 Days Later came out in 2002. They were probably right. filming it in 2001, and then how long was that script around before it got put into production? Did it was it a fast thing, or did it right. gestate for a while? So and did that writer of that film, 28 Days Later, somehow come in contact with Robert, Robert Kirkman, Kirkman and say, "Hey, you know, what do you think about John, you know this genre?" And right. I had this idea, and then the, you know, yeah, because it does seem a little like hmm, suspicious about a, almost identical. Weird. In the movie, Killian Murphy wakes up in a hospital in London. After right. so, like a, what was it like a car accident? He had a head injury or something like that. Right. And the and the hospital is completely empty and, and there's nobody there and he's walking around London and he's like where the fuck is everybody? Right. Waking up to your worst nightmare kind of. Then the whole he starts getting slowly. I shouldn't say slowly because in in this genre is the fast zombies. They're more of like a. It's more of like a fast-acting uh, virus, virus, viral yeah. infection kind the of thing. The incubation time is almost instantly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, a few seconds and you're done. And they're just like ultra-violent, and they, they almost seem like they're amped up on drugs in a way. Right. Know, the way they're... Right. So it kind and of... they're not just solely after brains or anything in particular. They're just... They're just after you. Right. <laughs> after right. a living. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know that they're dead or not. I think they're just kind of possessed by this. It's almost like um, rabies and stuff like that, where right. it just kind of takes, it makes you insane and, un, you know, uh, unruly. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing it 28 days later in the theater, actually. And, and, and I, I liked it a lot. I didn't, I didn't love the handheld shaky stuff all the time. That yeah. was getting a little obnoxious. Right. But I, I liked it for what it was. It was, it was pretty cool. That was pretty trendy in that era, too. Yeah. Filmmaking. And then, you know, in that very same year you had, which I still have never seen, but was a big thing with zombies in video game land and then in movie land, which is the Resident Evil movie. Right. I remember the game. Right. And, and really liking the game and, and almost okay. being kind of like freaked out by it. Kind of like the way Doom was kind of scary back in those days. It, right. You right. never knew. You could hear the noises, but like <laughs> coming around the corner, you know. Right. Yeah, and right. I, I did. I, yeah, I do remember playing Resident Evil the game on the very first PlayStation. Right. And uh, yeah, but then like thinking those movies were going to be cool, but then as soon as you see the trailers, you're like, no, this is not cool. And <laughs> <laughs> never. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen any of those movies either. Really, I've seen one of them, but it was it's for sure not the first one. Yeah, um, they, I think they have their own kind of weird little cult following in a way. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly, I know nothing about the game, so I don't know what the game culture thinks about those movies or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was a big thing, and it definitely did move the zombie genre up a few notches right. in, the, in the belt of Hollywood for sure. Yeah, yeah. You're suggesting that we take some fucking parking shuttles and reinforce them with some aluminum siding and then just head on over to the gun store where we watch our good friend Andy play some cowboy movie jump on the covered wagon bullshit. Then 
We're going to drive across a ruined city through a welcome committee of a few hundred thousand dead cannibals, all so that we can sail off into the sunset on this fucking asshole's boat and head for some island that, for all we know, doesn't even exist? Yeah. You know, 2004 is a big year for zombies anyway, because 03, as you already said, Walking Dead comma came out and started to slowly build this fan base. Right, Boom, boom, boom. Getting bigger and bigger. Zombies are becoming more and more of a prominent thing. And then, you know, the guy who wrote the Walking Dead comic, he was originally going to title it Night of the Living Dead because he loved those movies so much. So, So... you know, he was definitely pulling from a lot of inspiration from Romero and, and then everything else that's come after Romero, too, mm-hmm. pulling little bits of here and there. So you, you get the Dawn of the Dead. Zack Snyder's bringing his visual style to it. One, his viciousness, which he, he's not afraid of gore in his films. And uh, slow-mo, of course. you got to have some slow-mo in there with <laughs> Zack Snyder. Yeah. But... I prefer the Romero Dawn yeah. of the Dead over his his version. His is just a little too overly visual to me and a little too cranked up on... Um, there's not a lot of people to like oh, <laughs> in yeah. his right, movie. Right. You know, there's a few people here and there, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just found myself walking out not really caring too much about the film. But it did bring, like, super fast-running zombies and stuff like that, really super viciousness as far as the, the deaths and everything. And then the same kind of love and care from the zombie genre from Romero on came at, in 2004 with Shaun of the Dead. Right, yeah. Take on, go to Mums, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! pretty big hit and made made those guys they're relevant today because of that movie right exactly yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. simon Pegg and i can't remember his p- partner's name nick frost i believe yeah they're still pals too you know yeah and so yeah that that came out i did not see that one in the theaters i saw that one when it finally hit yeah video. i think the same dvd probably and yeah, and uh, and I remember liking it and yeah. appreciating the right. little nods to everything and the. And, yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. And the slant of the British humor right. mixed in with it. Right. And every, I, I I really dug it. I thought it was it was fun. It wasn't one that I went back to a lot, but right. it was one that I enjoyed when I when I originally watched it. Yeah, well, you know, we t- I tried to rewatch it with the old lady over here, and of course she didn't like it. She didn't like anything fun, but I was also like, <laughs> I was like, mm, I don't know if it's holding up. Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't rewatched it again, I think, since I originally saw it and enjoyed it. And it's probably best I leave it like that. Because yeah. <laughs> with a lot yeah. of movies I seem to rewatch, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> but then, you know, two years after 2004, when that, those two movies hit and really started to do it, they, we had a novel come out from Mel Brooks's son. Son, yeah, Max yeah, Brooks. Yeah, Max Brooks, and that's World War Z. And that novel is really interesting. I thought it was interesting yeah. how it's like a diary of everything, and it was right, it was right. cool. And yeah, kind of an instructional how to right. yeah how to survive a, a zombie apocalypse. Right. Yeah, I've I've listened to it on audio book, and it, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. That book was hugely popular too, and mm-hmm. so it's like all you know within this five year period. Right. It's just like boom, this stuff is just blowing up everywhere. Right. Yeah. Well, also we would be remiss not to mention that a year before Max Brooks's World War Z book comes out in 2005, Romero gives us another dead film with Land of the Dead. Oh yeah. Right. Right. 
Unfortunately, with Land of the Dead, apparently there's some production issues that happen behind the scenes. Universal picked up the film and, and gave Romero the biggest budget he had ever had on a dead film ever. Yeah. And so uh, it definitely shows with the production value, but also with that by what Romero was saying, that Universal was kind of on his ass about every penny that was being spent and kind of stifling his creativity in that sense. Yeah. And so... It came at a price, unfortunately. And also the movie came out, and I don't think it did all that well. I don't think it was a huge bomb, right. but it didn't do all that well. I, I still like the movie a lot. I like the original three the best, but you can definitely tell when you're watching it, it's a Romero zombie film. Right. It's For some reason, it feels like you can feel his presence in that film, the way he shoots things and the way some of the zombies react and some of the dialogue and stuff like that. He's, again, one of my favorite filmmakers, not because he has a super great filmography, <laughs> but I, I just really love the passion that goes into a lot of his films. And, and hearing him talk about, even the ones that I don't really care about, hearing him talk about making those films, you can hear a lot of passion in that and unfortunately this film wound up being not his most passionate film just because allegedly he was creatively run amok by the studio during making of, of Land of the Dead but I still think it's worth watching. Land of the Dead was a was a rough one because it was my uh, brainchild and you know having someone tell you how to raise your child is frustrating but um, what are you going to do that's showbiz as they say so it feels incomplete to me for sure but I, I still love it like the others and I, there's also there is the diehard romero zombie fans like he invented the genre and mm -hmm. it his rules are sure what what stick and right the whole fast running thing doesn't make sense and <laughs> if they're reanimated corpses how can they have you know hand-eye coordination or and, and right. any anything like that so that's kind of like this diehard cultish following to george romero's vision right right and also i mean we definitely should mention that around 2000 even probably before that but 2000 on there is this glut of home video releases and direct to digital releases and all kinds of releases of remakes of Night of the Living Dead or offsprings of Night of the Living Dead because, of course, that whole movie mm -hmm. did not have the copyright bug on it when they released it. And so it went into public domain. And so anyone can make a remake or, yeah, right. or any kind of variation of Night of the Living Dead because of that copyright issue. Yeah, and I think that they, the, the whole separation is he took living out of his titles, right? Romero, yes. After Night of the Living Dead mm -hmm. because of that copyright fuck-up mm -hmm. from the... Right. Yeah, the other guy that he wrote the script with of Night of the Living Dead, John Russo, he kept the rights to Living Dead and wrote a novel which ended up becoming Return of the Living Dead and then Romero... He went on to do the Dawn of the Dead, and that just took living right out of the title. Okay. Are you... What's with the, the get-up? Oh, I do it to blend in. You know, you know, zombies don't mess with other zombies. Buddy of mine, makeup guy, showed me how to do this. Cornstarch, you know, some berries, a little licorice for the ladies. Suits my lifestyle. You know, I like to get out and do stuff. Just played nine holes over Riviera. Just walk down, nobody there. God damn it, Bill fucking Murray! So then 09 comes along and the American studios are like, hey, those Brits, they did their comedy slant on the whole zombie genre. 
How about America's Give It a Shot with Zombieland? Which is a pretty good movie. Oh, yeah. And it was a big hit. Yeah. It was a big, big right. hit. And it, it had fun characters right. and a fun little setup. The premise. I love the cinematography and the playful way they use titles. Bill Murray was in it, and he was great. Yeah. Uh, it suffered from a lackluster sequel. The sequel was a, was a dud, yeah. But it's kind of like Anchorman 2 and, mm-hmm. and Zoolander 2, where they just waited too long. There was a definitely an expiration date. Right. There's more of them out there than usual. I never should have fired that gun today. Sound draws them now, they're all over the street. You shot that man today. Man? You shot him in the street out front, a man. Friend, you need glasses. It was a walker. Hey, mister, you even know what's going on? I woke up today in the hospital. Came home, that's all I know. But we come all of that way, all the way up to 2010, and then the explosion in this genre happens with Walking Dead. And then that really cements it, because that shows a smash, huge smash success. Yep. Makes stars out of these nobody actors, you know what I mean? And, uh... And the stuff was big surrounding zombies then, like the zombie walk and stuff like that, but it seems like after that show came out, those things... Yeah were like newsworthy then. Right. Ooh, the zombie walk is happening right. in Phoenix or Colorado or Yeah, you know. I've done them I I've done it in Denver twice in like right. uh, I'm gonna say like two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen around there. And yeah, there was like thirty thousand people <laughs> walking yeah, the craziness. streets of the, the the malls. And you know, we're all everybody's dressed up. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Right. That's yeah. That's basically at the height of the whole zombie thing. The, the, right. What was great about The Walking Dead that, um, you know, it's extended cable, basic cable, right? It's not HBO, but it, right. it, it's pushing the boundaries of gore on TV. Oh man. Basically changing because it doesn't. It's not light on gore at all. Right. It's almost. It's just as gory as that Italian zombie movie from, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. shocking and all that stuff, which is bold and cool. And right. two, it's one of the first shows of that. You know, Sopranos, I guess, is kind of like this, but this one seems more brutal than that. In that, your dearest star is not safe. Right. Any of them could die at any time. Exactly. And in really, really horrible ways. Right. Yeah. Well, something that we haven't mentioned yet that was slowly picked away from the zombie films as it got into uh, the 2000s was practical effects. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that I think Walking Dead did brilliantly was bring in Greg Nicotero and he really pushed the practical effects on that show to the forefront to where they were like, wow, you were wowed again by practical effects. And of course, he's an understudy of Tom Savini who was under Romero. He's, he was as under, understudy. Right. He was like a, a kid that basically yeah. was and, hired on to help him. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, Greg Nicotero had was this amazing education under the Romero and uh, Savini school. Right. And he was a part of a lot of their productions that they did together. Right. So he was on Dawn of the Dead and he was on Creep Show, and he was on Day of the Dead. And so he, he built up all of this stuff and then was able to, years later in The Walking Dead, right. incorporate that and right. mix it with CGI and really just bring practical effects to a whole nother level. No, and I really, I really hold Greg Nicotero responsible for the rebirth of practical effects in movies totally 
because at that particular point, right. mostly through the 2000s, the movies had gone so CG half heavy that they were just cartoony gross like a Van Helsing kind of thing you know well then you have someone who's a brilliant artist like Rick Baker who's done countless amazing things on film having to retire because there's just no work for him to do Mm -hmm. anymore you know right Greg Nicotaro kind of like resurrects this whole thing based on what he does for The Walking Dead right and Greg Nicotero having come up uh, under George Romero, of course, he is one of the very ones that I was just talking about of the cultish following of zombies need to be these right. lumbering, decaying right. creatures that can't walk, that just physically can't walk. I mean, I've heard him say it, you know, I've heard him literally say it on like behind the scenes stuff where he's like, fast zombies are f- fucking stupid. Right, right. I've heard it come right. from his mouth. Right, and it, it's a valid point, but I mean, I'm not going to get too picky about it. Wh- right, where it's yeah. where it's bad is when I don't know if we're we're going to talk about it anyway, right? It's coming up next. So let's go to 2013. The World War Z movie, the adaptation of Max Brooks's book into a movie. That's it. It's it, that one is, is exactly the opposite of everything Greg right. Nicotero did for. The Walking Dead TV show, it's it's all CGI, and yeah. the, the zombies are in a very... Yeah, it's like a horde mentality, like ants and shit. It's yeah, like, it's like a... Hi- yeah. A, yeah, a hive mentality, yeah, that's what yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it's and weird. It, it, it... Yeah, that movie, and they PG-13 that movie, so uh, it just, it's awful. Yeah, I saw it in the theater just because, and uh, yeah, it was, it was just kind of like, oh man. And I think, uh, you know, not necessarily just that movie, but it was... The, Right there, 2013 seemed to be a tipping point for me anyway, mm-hmm. of where zombies just started to get, all right, I've seen it, mm-hmm. I've done it. Mm-hmm. You know, The Walking Dead just hit that point to me where zombies started becoming sideline characters. Yeah, they the weren't bottom. even, right. They're not the threat anymore. It's all these people doing horrible shit to other people. And then right. zombies were a cause and effect of things that those bad people did and it right. just it became mundane to me to where it just wasn't interesting anymore yeah for, for me it was like shortly after the Negan character was introduced okay and yeah, and, and, uh, yeah because the, his introduction was awesome I'm Negan and I do not appreciate you killing my men also, when I sent my people to kill your people for killing my people, you killed more of my people. Not cool. Not fucking cool. You have no fucking idea how not fucking cool that shit is. But I think you're going to be up to speed here shortly. Yeah, And then that, that, that episode was so intense and so shocking and so... Right. Brutal, where they just right. murdered two of your favorite people. <laughs> right. That the show had nowhere to go but down from there. Right. And it just steadily went down. But I think that it was AMC's like they were seeing this as this cash cow, and then this whole we're right. going to create a universe and all the you know Fear of the Walking Dead comes out, and and they don't do a that that's supposed to show you the zombie apocalypse happening, and they show it from right. the perspective of three people basically or four people, and so you right. don't really see it still anyway 
Right. Yeah, and it was a, it was just like it's better. It's like the Jaws thing. You better left right. to your imagination, but they're trying to explain it all out, and it gets silly after a while. Right. And then the you know this these this spinoff show, and then they have another new spinoff show. How is it going to be any fucking different? It's going to be it's the same not. damn formula over yeah. and over and over and over again. Because all it ends up being is a soap opera with zombies in it. Right, that's right, what it right. ends up being, and that's where it becomes dull. Yeah. So we are where we are today. Uh, zombies are still a popular thing uh, because that movie that came out, The Army of the Dead on Netflix, the Zack Snyder thing, that's a big, huge hit, apparently. They're doing a sequel and everything. I'm, I didn't watch it because I'm still not really into zombies right now. Yeah, I watched half of it and I lost interest once I right. found out there's this like zombie hierarchy, you know, where like a particular type of zombie is like the head zombie and then there's like medium zombies that have a little <laughs> more intelligence. Gotcha. There's like these three layers of intelligence where there's the it's like the it's like a, a going back to the hive mentality thing where there's right. like a queen or a king and then all of his underlings and then they're in charge of all the drones below that you know so we should I mean, say too I think also uh, uh, Game of Thrones had an influence in this too because of oh, the, sure, white, yeah, the sure. white walkers and the whites and all that stuff which was a very much a, a walking that was done in a really cool they could do the fast running but they were right and they were severely rotted but. I think right. it's, it worked in that situation. Right, yeah. It really did work. No, yeah. I just wish I could have seen the very last battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and the rest of the world. <laughs> right. But, yeah, no, it did. That definitely... That that was something that where I was already out of The Walking Dead by then, and I was like, couldn't care less about zombies. Yeah, I think I was too. When I yeah. saw the, how, what they were doing with the White Walkers, I was like, this is an interesting little spin on it, and that got me more interested in it. You know, unfortunately, right. that didn't last. But right, right. But yeah, I mean, there are always those things that come along and revitalize some kind of dead genre, and uh, whether we're talking about zombies or whatever it is, that's going to continue to happen with you and I or without you and I. So if I, if I'm just going to try and make a prediction. Just what I feel like should, is probably going to happen is it's going to die out for a, a while, and and um, zombies, zombies are, yeah. and then and then something's going to ten years down the road will become interesting again and right kind of kick it back in. But I I really do feel like the whole thing is played out. But that's also how yep. I feel about it because of The Walking right. Dead and all that stuff. So maybe yep. what you just said, I was saying when I started losing my interest back in 2013, 14, 15, and you know we're this many years still in, and then they make you know Army of the Dead is a big hit, and you know there's four more spinoffs or whatever of Walking Dead coming out. So who yeah. knows? If it's not a prediction, it's a wish. I kind of right. wish for it to die off for a while, and so it can kind of feel original again right down down the road yeah because i don't dislike the zombie villain i mm-hmm. just want i i want it to go away so i can have a rest from it and then mm-hmm. come back with some kind of new fresh spin that we've seen happen over these decades we've talked about right Hello, this is Jigsaw. If you like this podcast you are listening to, don't let this show get trapped in obscurity. Head over to the podcast provider you downloaded this show from and give Tim and Derek a five-star rating. And while you're at it, give them a positive review as well. If you would like to chat with these boys, you can find them on Instagram at TFTFP Podcast or shoot them an electronic letter at 
tftfppodcast at gmail.com. Do it. This isn't a game. We'll kick back to the 70s now and talk about the paranormal and ghost demon-y subgenre that The Exorcist basically started. Right. Not really started, but but, but made a huge thing. Um, well, before we even get back to the 70s, we should probably talk about something that came out in 68 that kind of whet everyone's appetite for that possession or devil thing, and that's Rosemary's Baby. Poor old geezer with a crazy father like that. No wonder he switched his name around. You, you don't think he's the same? What do you mean, a witch? <laughs> Roy, are you kidding? I, Have you seen it? I, I don't think... I think I've started to watch it and I got interrupted and I didn't finish it. And that was only like a year or two ago and I okay. meant to finish it. I know it's supposed to be pretty cool, right? Right, yeah. Uh, well, I have this thing every Halloween where I try to seek out new horror films or old horror films that I never got around to seeing or maybe saw when I was a kid and then forgot about or didn't like and just to see if things changed in my opinions and so Rosemary's Baby was one of those films and so I ended up uh, finding it Mm -hmm. watching it again and it's got such great atmosphere in the film it really is creepy has some creepy moments Mm -hmm. and uh really builds tension <laughs> right but right. yeah and great performances in it really good yeah um but it probably laid the groundworks for the exorcist too oh yeah produced down you know uh, several no, years later. no doubt no doubt about it there are no experts you probably know as much about possession as most priests look your daughter doesn't say she's a demon she says she's the devil himself After Rosemary's Baby, I think the paradigm shift, in my opinion anyway, definitely comes in 73 with The Exorcist, which we've already talked about. And then after that, I think the next big one that we should talk about, especially in that genre of paranormal, devil possession, demon possession type of deal, is 1976's The Omen. Oh, yeah. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. The funny story behind The Omen is that Warner Brothers at the time, of course, they saw the tremendous success of 1973's The Exorcist, and The Exorcist was born out of a book by William Peter Blatty. Mm -hmm. Uh, That book came out, and then eventually the movie followed for The Exorcist. So Warner Brothers has this script called The Omen, wants to make it into a movie, but also wishes that they could do what The Exorcist did, which was have that hit book out before the movie comes out. (laughs) So what they do is they get a writer to come in, read the script, and then make a novel out of it. And on that novel, when it's released, they have the little seal on the front of the book that says, soon to be a major motion picture. So it comes out first as the book is a huge hit, and then the movie comes out a little bit afterwards, and it's a built-in audience. And Warner was really smart in doing that. A little underhanded, but smart. But that movie comes out. It's a huge hit. Okay. I think one of the first big movie hits for uh, the late, great Richard Donner. Yeah. And if anything has stayed in my memory from The Omen, it's that freaking music. As we get to the end of the 70s, there was another paranormal movie that came out that had to deal with the haunted house, 
and uh, a lot of people went to see it, and that's the Amityville the horror, horror. Right. And that was an actual true story that uh, Hollywood kind of sprinkled its Hollywoodland fairy dust on, and uh, out came this paranormal Hollywood hit. Right. I think the true story was was the oldest son of this family who was a kind of a loser and a little off just decides to come home one night and he mm-hmm. murders everybody in the house his parents and his younger siblings and all that stuff and then I, I believe he killed himself right and that house is a real house and it got attached to it that there was this whole haunting of those people right from, and, and then know. that movie went on to spawn many many sequels and then even I mean to this day they're putting out sequels to that movie and then also a reboot with I think Ryan Reynolds was in it yeah that's right uh, yeah and so the one thing the one scene that really sticks in my head from being a little kid is giving me the heebie-jeebies is when the priest comes to the house to kind of like uh work his way into the family or something and he knows there's bad shit going on and he goes into the bathroom and the house is kind of mm-hmm. fucking with him and locks him into the bathroom and then all of those flies oh. attack him in the bathroom god damn it that gave me the willies and a half oh dude. totally yeah because there was something back then in the 80s about when you're watching a film that has lots of like rats mm-hmm. or bugs or something like that you know it's real back then they really threw a bunch of whatever that creepy thing was yeah, into right. the movie and so what you saw was really going on and the, the actor had to endure all that stuff. It was super creepy. It just made it that much mm. more creepy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for sure. I mean that definitely stood out to me in this film especially since I consider Amityville Horror to be more of a lackluster kind of film. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely one one of those scenes that stand out. Even if the movie's not all that great, it stands out in your in your mind. Right, exactly. Yeah. Wendy, I'm home. Yeah, and then so the next year is uh, Stanley Kubrick's The The Shining with Jack Nicholson, and uh, obviously that movie kind of came out to mixed reviews at the time. Oh but. yeah, for sure. And, and and like with most Kubrick films, uh, the critics kind of made their way back after a while and said, oh, you know what? It's kind of a masterpiece. So. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, out of all the ones we've talked about, it is the one that's most ambiguous. Right. Is it a ghost story or are these people losing their minds? Right, and, right. And, which was the reason why Stephen King did not like the movie right. uh, because right. he saw it purely as a straight-up haunting ghost story that there, right. there was ghosts. And I guess Kubrick wanted it to be more of like a, you decide. Right. Yeah. And I love it. I think it's a masterpiece, of course, watching it. All of the uh, things that are brought up about the overacting of Jack Nicholson, Mm -hmm. everyone, Mm -hmm. I think fits in perfectly with the mental state State. that everyone is in in the film. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things that it's amazing what Cooper can do with just empty hallways or slowly pushing a camera into an empty room. It's, It's amazing. Little pigs, let me come in. Also in 1980, we had another Haunted House movie come out with George C. Scott, one of my favorites, and that was The Changeling. Right, right. What I'm driving at is, uh, has uh, anything like this happened in the house before? If so, to whom, when, and uh, what did they do about it? That house is not fit to live in. It doesn't want people. 
And there has been trouble in the house before. And with those two movies releasing in 1980, right? Y- you can tell Hollywood was like, we're on to something here with this paranormal ghost demon possession I, thing. I think it was starts with Amityville, and then if people start wanting to cash in on that. Oh yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen the Changeling, but I don't remember it too well. I just I right. remember there's like a car accident in the beginning, right? And, and uh, yep. his do- his wife and daughter are killed, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then, then there's this mystery surrounding the haunting and the ghost are trying to lead them to clues to solve this whole thing and everything. I like George C. Scott a lot, and yeah. I think that the move, the way the movie is filmed definitely added something to the genre that was picked off of. Mm-hmm. Like, I think... I think The Shining and Changeling in this same year was something that other directors years later saw was influenced by and then picked off of mm-hmm. to put in their own movies. Yeah, now, so the one that basically... Uh, in my childhood stuck with me the most mm-hmm. like from beginning to end that because one because it was PG and I could watch it uh, without getting in trouble <laughs> thanks Steven Spielberg <laughs> yeah I know uh, is Poltergeist right uh, right you son of a bitch you moved the cemetery but you left the bodies didn't you you son of a bitch you left the bodies and you only moved the headstones you only moved the headstones that movie was kind of like the talk of the neighborhood once it finally did hit HBO and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that movie, I would say, probably four or five years after it hit theaters and uh, just being so creeped out by it, just totally creeped mm-hmm. out. Uh, a lot of the things did, like the clown thing freaked me out, mm-hmm. the uh, <laughs> the trees outside the little boy's window that become yeah. dark and yes. amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. And then the uh, graves in the pool. The graves coming up out of the ground. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That really got me good man as good as all of that stuff is and yeah. as creepy as all that stuff is the, the <laughs> oh, thing that you're gonna... <laughs> yeah. it's uh the the music at the end with the kids laughing oh, and stuff like that okay that shit gives makes my hair stand up on my arms <laughs> When the song's over, it go, they all go, <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> oh, man. I thought you were going to say that thing that yeah. comes out of the closet in that one scene. Oh, yeah. That gets me every time. I thought you thought I was going to say the, the midget lady was the scariest <laughs> thing. <laughs> I, and I, I guess because that movie was accessible and, um, you know, at an age when I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies, you know. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was I had full access to it. And, and um, PG well, they got away with a lot in that film. Well, PG-13 didn't exist yet. I don't no, think. And, no, and, well, uh, because of Spielberg, PG-13 exists because of Temple of Doom and Grimlins. So, yeah, you, there was a big fine line between basically it, it was it would be hyper gory and boobs and, and right. violence in a rated R and PG is everything else, you know. Right. And you could, that was a weird thing back then because mm-hmm. in PGs you could still have boobs mm-hmm. and you could still say fuck. But you could be limited on your fucks, but yeah. gore was kind of, it was a weird line that, yeah. you know, you could do this, you could rip a guy's face off in a mirror, well, yeah. and you can do all of this creepy stuff, but you, you know, you can, you can rip a guy's heart out in Indiana I bet Jones. You, I <laughs> bet you the, the reason why the, the face ripping thing was allowed was right. because it was just an hallucination. 
Right. Oh, that's if true. It, if, if, it, if it was like where he was really doing right. it and his face was ripped off, then I think that would have been, nope, that's too violent, rated yeah. R, you know. They might have said that, and then Spielberg was like, look, it's a, it's not real. It's a hallucination. Yeah, it's a hallucination. Right, right. <laughs> That same year in 1982, there was another ghost film that I saw way too early, freaked me out with Barbara Hershey, and it was called The Entity. Is that the one where she gets raped yes. by the ghost? Yeah. Right. I've never, I've never seen it, but I've heard of, I've heard right. of it. Yeah. I saw it when I was younger, probably I want to say 12, 13, somewhere around there, and then recently rewatched it. And aside from the taboo subject of the film, the the rape and everything, right? There are some genuinely creepy moments without that being involved, but that on top of it just makes it really horrifying. Mm-hmm. But I will say on the rewatch, the one thing that uh, really, really creeped me out still to this day was Charles Bernstein's uh, soundtrack to it. The music he did for the movie is really unnerving and creepy. Oh, yeah. But as we work our way through the 80s and everything, there are more paranormal ghost devil stories that come out, uh, but none of them really start hitting the mark until two years later when someone comes up with a ghost story and puts a little bit of a comedy twist on the horror, and that's with Ghostbusters. Right. Well, there's something you don't see every day. Yeah. The comp- it's never meant to be frightening at all. But I do remember seeing it in the theater and being creeped out by that librarian ghost yeah, at the beginning yeah, when she, right. she turns into the weird thing. I remember being yeah. kind of scared by that. And then there's yeah. a scene near the end where the guy gets into the cab and there's a weird mm-hmm. skeleton ghost in it. Like, and like he driving around. the cab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that creeped me out too. <laughs> right. What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough. I get the point. I'm afraid of no And the ghost with the most blade. But then we move two years later from 84's Ghostbusters to 1988, and we get Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. Right. <laughs> you know what's really beautiful about this? You two kids picked me. You didn't have to, but you picked me. It makes me want to kiss you guys. Come on. Come no. Give me one. But anyway, so ghosts and paranormal stuff is being kept alive on, on the big screen by comedy around this time. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll, we'll save the talk about Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice for another show because I love those movies and I'd like to go a little bit more in depth on it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 1990, Patrick Swayze becomes a ghost. And that's huge. <laughs> it is huge, but again, it's... <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? I, the, the black 
yeah spirit thingies things. that come yeah that come yeah. up and grab that that was a little eerie yeah for you yeah. know no for sure i don't think it holds up but at the time right. i remember feeling like a little like oh yeah yeah because yeah. that bad guy character yeah that's like trying to steal you know her away from him right and plotted the guy's death i think and right right, plot right. His death. yeah though his reaction shots to that kind mm-hmm. of like oh wow he's really freaked out right so hence <laughs> then that therefore now i am yeah right <laughs> Can do so much. Spontaneous recurrent psychokinesis. Oh boy. Then it starts to switch a little bit by 99. Peter Jackson does The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. Right. That's got a ghost bustery edge to it. But it gets pretty horror. There's a lot of horror elements in there. I think just because Peter Jackson came from the horror background, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of weird shit that happens in there that's a little unnerving. I rewatched it not too long ago, and I'm like, man, this is some deep shit in this. <laughs> right, right. So that same year as Frighteners in 1999, the lid gets blown off of the ghost story, movies, paranormal thing with The Sixth Sense. That movie just went bananas. Right. I see dead people. Dead people like in graves and coffins? Walking around like regular people. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. see them all the time well, and I'll be the first to say I wasn't crazy about it I liked it yeah but it was one of those ones that I was just like yeah I think it's good but if I'm looking back at his movies even I would be like that's not I wouldn't pick that one in my top three no <laughs> yeah um yeah, no, I, I kind of, I think I was in on the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it, and I, I I'm not gonna be one of these schmucks out there. Oh, I frame one. I knew what was going on. Yeah. I didn't, and I, I was like, when it happened, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. But I, like, everyone was like, mind blown. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the best thing ever made, and I'm like, no, mm, no, not really. <laughs> right. But did, didn't it win awards? Did it, oh, win it was awards? nominated for like picture director and supporting actor and actress and oh, okay. all that, but uh, it didn't win any of them. Right. I think it's on the AFI list too, isn't it? I'm sure it is. Yeah. It's really high, re- highly regarded and right. everything. And I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's uh, as great as everyone makes it out to be. But eh, teach some. <laughs> so then that same year, yeah, in '99. This thing, talk about paradigm shift, the Blair Witch Project comes out. Oh, yeah. This is Burkittsville, formerly Blair. It is a small, quiet Maryland town. There are an unusually high number of children laid to rest here. Yet no one in the town seems to recall anything unusual about this time. To us, anyway. Yet legend tells a different story. One whose evidence is all around yeah. us. There were found footage films before that. Yeah, Cannibal Holocaust is like one of the really early ones that we can think of. Mm-hmm. From that's like nineteen late seventies, early eighties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But after this, this yeah, you can it, look at this. Yeah, that as was a turning watermark. Point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> found footage films became like almost fifty percent of the horror yep. movie output for the next. It's kind of like when. 
TV realized that reality shows could be yeah. really big shows. Right. They're right. like, they're cheap to make. Right. We can get a bunch of schnooks to make it. Right. And we don't have to pay anyone, like big stars, to do anything. Yeah, the real world basically right. kicks exactly. that shit off. So Blair Witch is this this huge phenomenon that they did everything right and they involved the internet with right. it to build it and it's a mystery and these kids and who are they and it's real found footage you know because it's found footage a lot of people actually thought it was found footage yeah. because the, yeah. that genre hadn't you know nobody had ever heard of Cannibal Holocaust <laughs> so uh, right. yeah it tricked a lot of people and uh, I remember with the people I went to see the movie with yeah. trying to convince me it was a real found footage <laughs> and I'm like no it's not no it's not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right yeah and I don't think, yeah I, well I think the biggest thing too was like that movie was made for like next to nothing Right. Next to nothing, and it made, made a gazillion, gazillion dollars. Gazillion dollars, right? So everybody's jumping on that bandwagon. Right, right. And I think I, for this, I, I don't dislike it. I get a creepy vibe from it. Yeah, I remember watching it and and getting like yeah, again the handheld thing gets a little monotonous. Mm-hmm. People were reportedly getting sick and all that stuff. It wasn't that much, but I remember being creeped out by it. Like, whoa, that's that's some creepy shit in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and I saw it in a theater. Did you? No, no, I didn't okay. see it for years later. I don't think. Okay. Did you know about it when yeah, it was oh yeah, going oh on? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That okay. I think that is why I resisted it because I'm. It gotcha. was one of those things. For some reason, it hit me the wrong way, and uh, I'm like, all right, fuck off, everybody who loves this movie. I don't care. Yeah, that might have been my thing with even Sixth Sense. Even it's right. by the time I, I saw it, probably in the third week it was out, and by that time it was becoming obnoxious of how great it was. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, obviously, that sets off the net going back to the ghost. Well, thing. that that very next year in two thousand, Robert Zemeckis's What Lies Beneath came out, and that was with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Harrison Ford. It was a good one. I liked it. Yeah. Something is happening to me, and it's it's not to get even, or and it's not some warped bid for attention. Something is happening in our house, whether you like it or not. has a very Hitchcock feel to it, and that's what I love about it. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that kept the ghost phenomenon going in film, mm-hmm. for, for a little bit, anyway. Yeah. Throughout the early 2000s, there were some possession ghost devil stories, mm-hmm. but none are really hitting. Even the sequel that they did that was non-found footage to Blair Witch kind of crashed and bombed at the box office. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, then, as we start working our way in through the upper 2000s... Trying to capitalize on that Blair Witch magic in 2009. Uh, paranormal activity comes out. Something's here. I feel it breathing on me. And they right. do they do this pretty brilliant marketing thing where they yeah. put the infrared cameras in the theaters and show the people getting freaked out and laughing right. and all that stuff. And it worked. It worked yeah. because um, the, that movie was a huge success for. And it built steam over too because I think it was it was showing in like. Festivals. It was showing in festivals oh, okay. for maybe a year or somewhere around that, building this word of mouth on right. online right. to where it got so big that theaters were like, eh, whatever, we'll, we'll take a print of it and we'll show it mm-hmm. at, at night. And then all of those things started selling out. I worked in the, the theaters at this time. So all of those things started building up, and mm-hmm. they were selling out more times needed, more times needed, but one, 12, 12 midnight, 1 a.m.s, 2 a.m.s, 3 a.m.s, 4 a.m.s shows, people coming to see it. It's huge, huge hit. 
yeah, and that's like was several sequels off of that, and then oh yeah, definitely. You know, um, <laughs> again, the same for me. What you were saying about Blair Witch is I don't necessarily love the films. Mm-hmm. They do put me something about found footage stuff does put me in that state of like hyper awareness of like right. feeling like. Uh, I'm not alone in the room when I'm alone in the room. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of those paranormal activity films. I saw the first one, maybe the second one, and it's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't get a lot out of them. The one thing I will say, the atmosphere in the movie that really does start to get to me a little is that the no music, and that is really kind of builds the tension for me. Right. But they'll do a tone. Yeah. They do. They do a whenever shit's about to happen. It's just. This like rumbling boom kind of comes yeah. in, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what what does ruin it for me though is you know not being a religious person is the whole demon right. the demon aspect of it because mm-hmm. I think it would be scarier if they were actual like ghosts like right yeah being visit like a poltergeist kind of thing where they're being visited by dead mm-hmm. things and they're scary ghosts and big but the fact that they're like you know demon spawns from hell or whatever following these people around <laughs> that right. takes the steam out of it for me and i'm just like mm, not quite as interested So yeah, there's a there's kind of a slew of this stuff coming out, almost to the point of saturation. Oh yeah, for that sure. It's hard to keep up with any of them. And we should say most of it is a found footagey, ghosty thing. They're yeah. doing that. They're just staying hardcore on that. Nothing else but hardcore on that. They'll go off on other things, but paranormal stuff in the found footage thing is huge. Yeah. And then for some reason, it starts to spin out into exorcism movies, which. Yeah come out with little bursts here and there between 09 but then you get to 2013 and then a giant one was the, the conjuring, conjuring right what are you guys well we've been called ghost hunters paranormal researchers but we prefer to be known simply as ed and lorraine warren with night owl <laughs> right mr patrick wilson to those who know him as human <laughs> actor and uh isn't it the girl from The Departed? Yes, Vera Farmiga, I believe, is how you pronounce her name. Yeah. Yeah, I I saw it in the theaters. I saw it against my will because I had already built a kind of huge... Negative. N- yeah, negative reaction towards a lot of these movies simply because they rely solely on jump scares, and I can't stand that because I can usually always see them coming. Right. So they never have the effect that I would like to be scared. <laughs> right. I liked it. Uh, there was it, it had its jump scares, but it also had these creepy moments in it that got me. Right. And right. I like those more than the jump scare things. And so I, I think the other the other gimmick too is that the couple that they're portraying is a couple in real life who right. were like these paranormal uh, researcher type people. It's or, definitely doing that thing where that Amityville. Bill Horror thing. This is based exactly. on a true story, kind of. Right. And but. Barely, and then the, right. I, it's been found out. I know that the real people are. Yeah, the the Warrens is who the uh, the actors play. Oh uh, yeah, hi, hyper frauds. I mean, it if you got to build a movie universe around some horror genre and have that as your hook, like paranormal investigating couple who have right. all of these antique things, it's not a bad hook. I don't, you know, I don't mm-hmm. dislike. I don't love the movies, but mm-hmm. I've I've seen them all so far and I like them. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. bunch of them, right? And then there's the spinoffs within that. Right. Like I haven't the, seen those. <laughs> the Annabelle and the Nun. Right. right. Yeah. The Nun thing. I don't watch those, but the yeah. one, the Conjuring ones, I'll, I'll, I can tolerate. I like. Yeah. 
Okay. So far. I think I've seen the first Conjuring, but I don't. It, was, it didn't stick with me as memorable, so I don't mm-hmm. have much to say about it. Right, uh, that's understandable. And uh, again, I'm not touting it as a, a huge, great movie. I just think that out of the glut of all of the things that are being released today, as far as horror goes, right. and the ghost genre especially, I think it's the most tolerable that I, I like these. Days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, and I think here's the deal is is. It's kind of all been done already, and be, right. uh, us being older guys who have seen shit from through these all these other yeah. movies we've already talked about. Right. We're, when by the time we get to this stuff in this generation, we're not right. seeing anything really that's very new. It's just rehashing of old ideas. Right. And and what I was saying before when we were talking about The Shining and The Changeling, how mm. there are directors that start borrowing from those movies that are right. fans. We're right. seeing now directors borrowing from the people who are borrowing from. from <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it kind of comes off as us being like over-the-hill curmudgeons, you know, in our day, movies were better. But it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's not really about that. I think for the younger generations who are loving these movies, right? they don't have that backlog of, of, of mo- uh, that back movie catalog in their head that they can compare other these new movies to. And mm-hmm. so it's fresh for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when I used to work in the uh, theater industry, being able to see a lot of these kids come in and enjoy all of these horror movies that are being released, and I'm on the fence, <laughs> right. basically. I do. There's a part of me that wishes I could cancel that other part of me out, yeah. so I could be in tune and enjoy Ignorous it. Ignorance is bliss, kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just forgetting your backlog, so you don't go in with the baggage, you know. My, I'll do the same thing. My prediction will be that they need to, t- <laughs> whether it's my, my more of a wish to come true or a, an actual prediction that they need to die out and then and then come back as another entity later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Enough with paranormal, demons, ghosts, devil stuff. On to the final genre of our show. Right. We started with Psycho, but... Yep, yep. Way back at the beginning of the show. And then uh, the next most notable mark in the slasher genre, I believe, is if you go to 74 with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. But, but here's here's the interesting connection between Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is right. they are both very loosely based on the same guy, uh, as in Ed Gein is the correct way to say it, but everybody calls him Ed Gein. Gein, right? Yeah, right. It's but his name is pronounced Gein. Gein, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, for good reason. That guy, he's the guy who made furniture out of dead bodies and stuff like that, in cereal bowls out of skull heads, and right. he had this. Um, Never married, never girl had a girlfriend. Suspiciously weird relationship with his mother, kind right. of thing, until she died, you know. And then when she died, the room was locked away, and he started doing all of his weird shit with grave robbing, and he right. murdered a couple people and all that stuff. And Buffalo Bill is also loosely based on that too, making a people a lady suit and uh, right. stealing pieces off of her but uh so that's where that's the connection between psycho and and texas chainsaw although they're two pretty different movies. right yeah 
But what's interesting too, that's also akin to him. Not that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is bloodless, right? But it's not as gory as people think it is, um, right? If, if you've seen it and then you're remembering it, you're rem- probably remembering it way more gory than right. what it really is. You're kind is. of inserting with your imagination a lot of right. because there are some pretty like uh, yeah. insinuated stuff, like when the lady gets hung on the hook and all that stuff. Right. And uh, you know whether it's the remake or that one, the original one, that. That right there just, God damn it. There's something about that hook thing that just fucks with me hardcore. Yep. Hardcore. Can't stand it. I'd rather get sawed in half with the chainsaw, (laughs) freaking Scarface style, than than get hung up on a hook um, right up my (laughs) a-hole. Or in the taint, whatever, you know? Right. Just forget it. Leave the hook out of there. No, I hear. Oh, yeah, she, that's she, she, she's she's hung in her ribs, isn't she? No, her back, the top upper part upper, of her back here. Yeah, yeah. That's even still. E- yeah, either either way, it's yeah. awful. I, yeah, that's the one thing out of that whole movie I can remember that one scene. Right. And I could swear that they show the hook going in, but they don't. No. So yeah, that '74 really starts that. You know, you got Toby Hooper directing that one. Comes out in '74, big hit. Right. And which is weird because it's it, off it's, kilter. Yeah, it's way off kilter than anything else that was really put out at that time. It almost has like a deliverancey kind of vibe to it in oh, a way, yeah. where that you know that kind of like caught in a, a place where you don't belong here kind of thing. You know, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it also because of the low budgetness, it out of necessity, it also because of the way they had to do the cameras and lighting and things, it has a very documentary style to mm-hmm. it too, which mm-hmm. also adds to the uncomfortableness of, of right. some of the scenes. It's like they're filming a snuff film kind of yeah, thing. Right, right. Hello? Piggy cunt. You are my fat cocktail. Oh, why don't you go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it? That'll give you a charge. I'll stick my tongue up your pretty you fucking creep! I'm going to kill you. Yeah, and so in 1974 also is a Black Christmas, as well as two years later you have the town that uh, dreaded sundown. And right. I feel like the slasher film is kind of given to either of these two titles back and forth as the beginning of the whole genre right. of the slasher sure. thing. Yeah. And a lot of the, what you'll see, the recipe for what becomes standard in slasher films, are in both of these films. Right. So isn't there like the POV of the POV killer? POV and right. Black, Black, Black Christmas. Christmas. Right. And then, you know, Town of Dreaded Sundown is this guy who's terrorizing this small town. He wears a mask. He uses all kinds of different, like, weapons, like machetes and pitchforks and right. stuff like that. So you it's, can see... It's very proto-Voorhees. Right. 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 Yeah, totally. And so you see all of these things kind of building into what will become. Both of these movies weren't big hits. No. But added to the texture of what will be built upon. Right. I met him 15 years ago. I I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. Yeah, and so then a couple years later, it really kicks off with right. J- John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978, right? So Boom. The, you Explosion. Have, right, <laughs> yeah. Again, a very low budget, right. uh, kind of low concept, mm-hmm. high impact. Freaks the fuck out of people because he... It, 
they do that almost zombie-ish kind of thing where the, this uh, this killer just never stops. He just keeps coming and coming right. and coming. And he's not running after he's, you. Yeah, he's never in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. He knows he's going to get what he wants. And the other thing is that just like Texas Chainsaw, this movie's not bloody. Right. Not a lot of blood in this film. There's right. here, here and there. There's things, but it plays upon what you're adding to it. Right. And and not just in the gory way, but also in the way of uh, what it adds to. Like, is that is that a shadow in the background? Mm-hmm. Is it moving? Is there something there? You know what I mean? He he, Carpenter's really good about using a lot of methods that he's he's seen the directors that he loves, like Hitchcock and stuff like that. So there's a lot of one shots, slow moving cameras, handheld stuff that not not handheld that's wobbly and jerky and all of this stuff. Very smooth, right? And slow. And POVs used at the very beginning, so that's again coming right yeah, off th- of like black through Christmas. the mask, yeah. When he right. puts the mask on and all that stuff, yeah. Um, the other the other thing too is you, this is basically the first of the iconic slashers, you know, and, right. and and the fact that you give him a regular name like Michael Myers, right? Uh, it kind of humanizes him in a way, even though he's acting inhuman and right, uh, right. The, I think he's wearing a like mechanics coveralls too right right yep. and uh, he puts on that what was essentially a, a weird very poorly done captain kirk mask <laughs> right like yeah. a really cheap one and right and they just paint it white and do the hair a little bit of a different color but right. what it said in the script simply was just a faceless killer right and that perfectly embodies what you see in Michael Myers' mask. That it's a perfect embodiment of what those words are in that script. Right, and because yeah, whatever whatever that, that expression in that mask is, you know, because it doesn't have eyebrows and all right. that stuff. It so not, it just like a, it's like a dead face. And, and right. yeah, the fact that they painted it white helps add to that kind of thing. And you can never really see his eyes. It's always dark right. behind there. You know, so it, yeah, it. Standing off in the corner, you know, like down the road kind of thing. Right. You know, in the background as they're as the girls are walking and stuff like that. Yet yeah, it has a, he creates a, a tension and a, an unmistakable presence that exactly kind of shapes slasher movies from here on in. Also, the thing in this movie is that music. Yes, you got John right. Carpenter's music that, right. you know, no matter how sick you are of hearing it these days, you know, that music has this tension in it. And oh, God, building. yeah. He said he was using this similar to how he he liked how they used the tubular bells in The Exorcist. The mm-hmm. You know, that right, thing. Right, so right. He said he wanted it to add, like, what's going to happen? Tension. Something's happening. Something's going to happen soon. What? Where's it going to come from? You know, keeping right. you on edge when, whenever something visually is not keeping you on edge. Right. Because of Halloween is such a huge, huge thing that is over a year span, it takes in a ton, tons of money off of a $300,000 budget. They make $50 million, which mm-hmm. is out of this world, especially you think back in 78. So it inspires all of these copycats immediately yeah. start coming in. Oh, my, we got to do something like that. If you're not searching for a holiday to put a killer in, you're searching for a, some kind of mask or some reason that he's off kilter or something. So, you, you know, you have a lot of things building up towards you know, the 1980s. You have uh, Brian De Palma's Dressed to Kill. Right. And that's a big, very Hitchcockian, hyper violent for you know. Cause yeah. De Palma's famous for his hyper violence, and the whole gimmick is it's a dude dressed as a woman, right? 
Right, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah, right. Where whereas Halloween is like a camp scary teenage horror fest, right. I, the the De Palma thing is kind of more of a mature psychological thriller version of that kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then that same year, you got something that starts out real cheesy as a teenage thing going back to that, and that's Prom Night using Jamie Lee Curtis from the right. Halloween movie again. Right, right. Which, I mean, that had to be a brilliant stroke of luck for Carpenters to say, you know, in my movie, I'm getting the daughter of the woman that was killed in Psycho. <laughs> right. You know? And so that, you know, that at least got him two or three stories in the in a few papers, uh, right. let alone some kind of stuff. So, you know, Prom Night comes out, does this thing, spawns some sequels. That's another one that goes on. I don't, so, uh, that's the only one I've ever seen is Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou. Hello, Mary Lou, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> yeah. It's pretty fucking awesome <laughs> yeah. as, as far as being terrible. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> The cornucopia of the oh, yeah. 1980 slasher film happens in, in, in with Friday the 13th. It does, yeah. Right. And so you, you've got Sean S. Cummings that sees this potential of what Halloween did, said we need to do something just like that. But what he does is he takes something that that Carpenter apparently and Deborah Hill, who helped write Halloween, wasn't didn't mean for it to become this thing in uh, horror slasher films. Whereas if you're a teen who's doing drugs yeah. or having sex, then that means you're, you're going to die. Right. Kind right. of thing. That wasn't their intention in that film. It was just that those girls were too busy, occupied with something else to see that danger was coming their way. Whereas right. Lori was more of a, a wallflower. Right, right. Who was watching everyone and could see danger coming from a long a long ways away. But then this is transformed into the Friday the 13th films. Like, tons of these films where if you're, if you're having sex, you're going to die. <laughs> there is kind of a complex baseline to the very original movie, though. What, right. You know, it's not just this right. guy in a hockey mask because he's not even in it. No. It's basically what sets up what you're just talking about, right? What the reason, you know, why why these um, camp counselors at Crystal Lake Camp or whatever are the victims of this crime is because this young, like, retarded boy or whatever who was at the camp was not being cared after because the counselors were basically too busy having sex with each other and the kid ends up drowning in the lake. Right. So in the very first movie, it's actually Jason Voorhees' mother right. who was going around unmasked or whatever, you know, you know, just... Well, she's hidden, but, you know, it's POV shit. Right. Killing these counselors and all that stuff. And then clearly disturbed at the end when she's kind of talking to her, her herself in the little boy's voice and all that very stuff. Very psycho-ish. And yeah, very psycho-ish, exactly. Yeah. But in yeah. reverse, where it's the right. mother and the... That's probably exactly what they did, is yep. said, well, let's take psycho and switch it around. Right. But, of course, you know, the last surviving person is in the boat at the end of the movie, and then this deformed kid jumps out of the water. Water and pulls her under, right? Right. So then, when the next movies come along, it's it's all that 
kid, but he's somehow, even though he's died when he was 13, he's grown man now. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like somehow he grew up. And right. uh, from that point on, it becomes, and I don't think he even gets the famous hockey mask until the third one, right? The third one, right. Yeah. Yeah, because he's wearing a burlap sack. Burlap like sack. the dreaded yeah. sundown. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so you see all of them picking they're, of all these things. They're picking and choosing from all these yep. past movies, right? Totally, totally. And creating right. probably, even though Michael Myers is up there, Jason Voorhees, right. through the 80s, like, Voorhees was ruled. The he dominated. S- dominated the slasher industry. Yeah. Right, yeah. And they could easily explain away costs because if they spend little money, they make very big profit. Right. So they spend the same amount of money on each sequel. They can make as many as they want and not lose. Right. It's a total win-win and and they did that every year. I think right. it only missed 2 years like 83 and 87 was the only years we didn't have Friday the 13th films in the theater. Right. It was it became a joke I remember as a, being a kid just how many freaking sequels is possible because right. I don't really feel like there were movies before that that were part 8s and part 6s and stuff like that, you know. Exactly. 80s were definitely the start of something like that. Like yeah, you got all your the Rockies the, and your Death your Wishes and your <laughs> Jaws movies. <laughs> yeah, and, right. right. Yeah, all the. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, Friday the Thirteenth is definitely a major paradigm shift. They also eventually. I don't know what movie this starts, but they adopt their own. Car- uh, Mike Myers has his music. You know. Right. At a certain point, Voorhees gets his that. No, that's the very first one. Is it in the first yeah, one? Yeah, okay. it's just to give the killer a voice. He never intended it to be a thing that stuck with Jason. He wanted right. to just give killer a voice. And so okay. it was that. Yeah. So that's, I think from, to, that's one of those zeitgeisty things also that, you know, is yeah. forever synonymous with slasher killer is that those sounds oh yeah yeah totally i never really got on the whole jason Voorhees train okay yeah see i was on both of them right right yeah. right i remember you talking about that and um i know like when that you were showing me the clips of that game that came out like three or four years ago the yeah that it was pretty cool you know yeah. how, how brutal it was and how um uh, relentless the violence yeah. is in that video game yeah but the the only, I think really, outside, I know I saw the first one. Friday the 13th. But I was just going to say, the only one I think I've really ever seen is part six. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jason lives, yeah. Yeah. It's 22 years later, and Norman Bates is coming home. I own a motel. Not too far from here. And you'd be welcome to spend the night in one of the empty rooms if you'd like. So 1983, because of the glut of slasher films becoming huge, right. they somehow convince a studio and a director and a writer and Anthony Perkins to all return to the Psycho film after all of this time has passed from 1960 to 1983. Right. And, you know, so... We have Psycho 2 that comes out and does huge and secures not only a Psycho franchise, but also gives Anthony Perkins, who I'm sure wasn't doing a whole lot outside of the black hole and (laughs) crimes of passion or whatever. I think he was more of a theater work kind of guy, yeah. Right. 
Yeah, but it gives Anthony Perkins, once again, it gives him some status in Hollywood, a place in Hollywood. Again. But I think it was a love-hate relationship with the Anthony Perkins thing. I mean, with the Norman Bates thing. I don't. I don't. No, no, no. He he embraced it. He wanted oh, he to do it. He he just was. He didn't want to. He didn't want to be the first to mess up Hitchcock's work. And right. He said right. that he liked the script enough to come back. He didn't apparently feel that way by the time they did Psycho Three. But that's another <laughs> yeah. story. Right. But yeah, this comes out. It does a good amount of. What do you remember about it? Oh, I I remember uh, a good amount of it. Uh, it was pretty clever. I remember that. I remember one thing that you might like. It has Robert Loggia. In it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dracula. No, it isn't. No, 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 it's not. But <laughs> what I remember briefly about the uh, movie is that uh, Norman Bates gets out of the insane asylum. And people have been watching over the uh, property for him, the hotel and everything. He gets back there, and then the relatives of the victims from the first film, they are plotting against him and making him think that his mother's really alive and all that stuff, and, and slowly slips him back into to the uh, psychosis Psychosis, state. yeah, right. And so Maybe it was a neat enough play on it? Um, I might have seen that. It sounds right. a little familiar, but I can't, I can't be sure. Right. It was a neat enough play on it that I could see how it would work for the 80s slasher mm-hmm. people to pick it up and go, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. And I'm sure it introduced a whole new generation to Psycho, like me. Right. You know? Right. The next year we have uh, one of the most goofiest, I want to use a word that we're not allowed to use anymore, begins with an R. Uh, Sleepaway Camp in 1983. It it is classic. I just, again, being a fan of How Did This Get Made podcast, that's an old episode they did of that, and it was so bananas that I'm like, I have to watch this movie at some point. And then going through their back catalog again recently, I'm like, oh yeah, Sleepaway Camp. So I watched it like just a few weeks ago. So you never had seen it I had never seen it. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, boy, is it bananas. Yeah, it's just like uh, just like community theater type acting and just it's like we just went through a town and just picked out random people right and uh can you see the friday the 13th influence on it? oh yeah obviously it's, <laughs> it's it takes place at a summer camp and right. uh yeah there's this whole thing about a gay love affair that's a secret and kids get run over by a boat and that one of the gay lovers gets run over by a boat and then uh, yeah it gets it's super convoluted and really hard to figure out what's going on (laughs) and then there's a lot of like really early 80s like it almost seemed like it had kind of trended out a little bit by this point but they were wearing like you know, like long, like parted down the middle, feathered hair. Oh, half yeah. the guys are wearing these half shirts, like half almost, shirts. almost up to their nipples. <laughs> right. And then, like uh, you know, the running shorts that would come way the fuck up, like the tightest, <laughs> highest cut running shorts I've ever seen. Right. The guys so this, must have had to tape their balls up back then because how did they not show? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and then the, the whole premise is is that there was a brother and sister that got killed by the boat and they make it seem like the the sister survived but it was actually the boy right. the boy yeah so that there's a like full, a full frontal kind of dick scene and they dick. Um, Ooh. yeah 
and a weird face that she's making. I, yeah, that she's, burns into my memory oh, yeah. more than she's, anything yeah, else. Yeah, right. She's like looking to the side with her mouth open, going, <laughs> while holding the severed head of her boyfriend. But you, what you can, can tell by looking at it is that that is like a. It's not Photoshop because that didn't exist, but that right. they put they put her face over whatever boy is standing there naked, right? And because uh, it kind of floats a little bit, you know, and it has oh, a, okay. it, it's like like better lit than the rest of it, so it doesn't right. it kind of doesn't blend right, but. They're probably like no one will no one will recognize it because they'll be like, did I just see a penis? Yeah, right, right. It it that movie is fucking bananas. <laughs> but it went on to spawn like four sequels. <laughs> yeah, right, right. This is how crazy the 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 landscape was of horror uh, back of, then. Of of uh, the slasher film and sequels, they all had right. to have multiple sequels. Right, right. And the next one. It's, it's definitely, no, on that. Right, Another, definitely on that list because it's it's huge well, and iconic. And yes. Please, God. This is God. It's Nightmare on Elm Street from Wes Craven, 1984. Right. And I think for me, he was my favorite of the three. A Freddy, yeah. As a kid, as a kid, because yeah, because it was relatable and he was funny and yep. uh, there was this kind of the whole dark imagery of the dream thing they created and 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 that industrial backgrounds that they were always in. Right. I always thought that shit was super cool, super freaky. That glove, the whole concept of that glove was badass as fuck. Yep. And with the hat, and Robert England is fucking. He's like born for that role. He's been in other stuff. Yeah. But he's every. He, He's so tied with Freddy Krueger that when you see him in any other thing, you're just like, well, there's fucking Freddy Krueger right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? love and shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's that also it's tongue in cheek. You know, Freddy has yeah. that kind of witty sense of humor. Right, which and grows as the sequels go on. He's a little darker, menacing in the first one. And right. then that grows and grows and grows. Kind of like the, you know, all of these characters we're talking about. Jason becomes right. a caricature of himself. And right. Michael Myers does right. the kind of the similar thing. So it's yeah. weird how those things do that. Yeah, I mean, I think as, as I've matured as a movie watcher and all that stuff, it's definitely... Michael Myers, you know what right. I mean? That's oh, the, yeah. he's, there's just that that's the cool character. He does everything without doing anything. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Yep. Whereas whereas Freddy's doing everything to do everything, he becomes a bit of a a joke. Right. You know what I mean? No, I'm playing with power. <laughs> You're right, because in that first one, he he he, it's not quite as talkative. Right. He doesn't show up as much, and he does a lot of weird shit, like that stretched arm scene. Stretched and the, arm. You know, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah that's so cool. You start to see imagination, it, at least, being added to a lot of the slasher stuff, and say, you know, Wes Craven saying, "What can we do with the slasher thing to make it kind of more unique?" By adding the dream thing, which it, which is what I think it gave it the longevity that it had. I don't think it would have had the longevity had it not had that edge of the dream. Right, because there's so much you can do within that. Right. It's pretty cool. It's pretty smart. Yeah. Welcome to my world, bitch. Mainly through this period of time, it's just all Jason, Michael Myers, and Freddy. Freddy, They're yeah. just vying for screen time, and Jason's pretty much winning out almost every time. Right, right. 
So by the time we get to the 90s, Jason starts to fall off. Yeah. Freddy falls off. Michael falls off. Yeah. We get Chucky for a while, but he falls off and comes back and forth. It's kind of a weird thing with Chucky. Yeah. But there are a lot of attempts to are made to try to be the next big slasher thing, and it just kind of falls short. And until 1996, when Wes Craven comes in with Scream. Hello. What's your favorite scary movie? reinvents the genre in a way to where you're analyzing the dumb things about horror. It's very self-referential. Right. Where the dude is talking, what's his name, that Kennedy guy is talking about the rules of horror movies and and how you're not supposed to do certain things and then Right, you know, he's yelling at the other part at, at people in the movie for doing the things they're not supposed right. to. Right, right. So it's clever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were clever enough to, to spawn a couple sequels and a couple parodies too with the scary <laughs> movie movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man. So I mean, that thing really kept the slasher thing going, and then of course, off of the success of that, you got the I know what you, you know did what you last, did last summer, summer ones from the very next year, '97 that had like three sequels to it yeah i've never seen any of those but those i remember those being big yeah so those things kind of keep the slasher film afloat in the 90s all the way up into the 2000s and then they kind of peter out yeah and then michael bay steps in (laughs) yeah and 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 here comes all the remakes right and he's just like you know what we need to do we need to remake texas chainsaw massacre that's what we need to do All the stuff that you thought you saw in the original, we're going to show you in this one. (laughs) Right. It's gory. Right. I never really was into these movies enough when they were new, probably because I wasn't allowed to watch them as a kid. Right. And uh, so I kind of missed the boat on them. So that when the the idea of them being remade and then like, I just, I think I did see Texas Chainsaw remake for sure. Yeah. I saw this one in a theater and I remember not loving it. It was just another one of those. Like, this is where we start getting into those waters of torture porn. Yeah. I don't mind gore, but it hits a point. Saw movies and the... Right. uh, uh, The hostile... Hostile movies, which is... Yeah, that's all it is, is torture porn. It's not really scary. It's just disturbing. Yeah. Right. It's just like, oh, that's stuff I don't want happen to me. This... What we're talking about now starts to enter into slasher films a lot in this time to where it becomes what's the worst thing we can show and I get that and everything but it's kind of similar to me as with the ghost thing that goes for jump scares instead of creepy things just because you're showing me gory stuff doesn't mean I'm going to be scared I'm just going to go oh okay that's a bunch of gore that (laughs) right right yeah and so if I want to see a horror movie, I want to be scared at something, and just gore alone just doesn't do it for me. So no. the, these remakes start doing that, and 03 was, of course, when this Texas Chainsaw one came out. These eyes will deceive you. They will destroy you. They will take from you your innocence, your pride. And eventually your soul. These eyes do not see what you and I see. 
Behind these eyes, one finds only blackness. Move on to 07, and Rob yep. Zombie brings it with the Halloween one. Right. And again, I was kind of, you know, I, I, I will say I was kind of interested in what he was doing with the backstory of Michael. I kind of mm-hmm. got into that a little bit. Right. But the minute it started to become a straight-up remake of Halloween, yeah, that's when my interest started waning. Mm-hmm. What's the point? Why, I'd rather why, watch the original. I'd rather watch the original. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he comes in and he does this and he does a sequel to it. Both are real brutal, and they show the, the second one bonkers crazy. Yeah, like crazy out there. Right. I don't. I know I don't 100 percent get it. Right. Yeah, he kind of lost his yeah. marbles on that one. His name was Jason, and today is his birthday. And in 09, you get the Friday the 13th reboot. Right, right. And I don't think I've seen that whole thing. I see, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I just is don't it, have... I don't care. Is it rated R? <laughs> yeah, it's rated okay, R. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, exactly. I had zero interest in any of these at this point. Right. And, and then again, even more so, because I did have an interest in <laughs> right. Freddy Krueger more, but when they reboot the Nightmare on Elm Street thing... Um, oh, man, yeah. With the what's his name? Jackie Earl Haley, the yeah. guy from Watchmen. He plays Rorschach. He plays Rorschach, right? <laughs> and um, who's great in that movie? But nice try, Nancy. Now let me take a stab. The whole thing, uh, you know, he plays it straight, right? And, and, yeah. he's, and they take away all of the the whole premise of right. Freddy Freddy Krueger being this kind of wisecracking. Yeah. Let's take away his charisma that he's known for and just make him a bland kind yeah. of horror monster. It's like, well, what's the point? What's yeah. the edge you're that you're lo- giving there's, me here? Right, yeah. There's, there's, it's just garbage. Right. So, yeah, that comes out in 2010. And I think that one doesn't actually do all that well, which is, thank goodness, well, they didn't keep doing these movies over right. and over again. Because right. the, the reboot of The Texas Chainsaw and Halloween both saw sequels. But I don't think Friday the 13th or Nightmare saw anything afterwards right and i think it's just because it was losing steam and i think the whole right around this time people were starting to catch on to the reboot fatigue you know right because it was getting out of control right and then you also at this time like i say we're in the 2000s here zombies and horror and ghosts are blowing the fuck up right yeah they're blowing up yeah so there's no room right you want to see other, because, you know, Saw was out and it was dominating some of the horror stuff for a while there, but then that lasted like six, seven years. That went away. But yeah, zombies and everything else, are no pun intended, gobbling up. They're still not letting it die. Right, <laughs> right. right. You know. So the one person that revives the slasher films, it seems, is in uh, 98, Halloween H2O comes out. Yeah. They bring back Jamie Lee Curtis, ignore like four, five, six, and that's a hit. Yeah. And then in 2018, they bring back Jamie Lee Curtis, ignore all the sequels right. from like part two all the way up. And that thing is a enormous hit, like huge. And uh, did you like that Halloween 2018? It was okay. Yeah. It was okay. It, I, it, it, I think it as, it, it, as it went on and, and, you know, that lockdown house and they're in there, I'm like, this is falling apart pretty quickly yep. for me. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah that's. I was just about to say that. I, it was okay. It lost steam as it. The further it went into the movie, the more it was losing me. Right. Right. I, I dug the vibe it started yeah. out to the point where I was like, I was kind of angry <laughs> by oh, the really? end of it. Yeah. It was like <laughs> this is. Come on, guys. You're, oh really? You're, 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 no. You didn't just lose me. You turned me against you. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, yeah. Not, it didn't happen with me. Not like that, anyway. I think because I go in with such low expectations that I, I ended up not loving it, but it was okay. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know. I had seen it relatively late in the okay. game, like way late, like available on TV, like so six, seven, eight like, months. Oh, then, my God. Right. All of this stuff had been built up. So yeah. I think that's why I was mad because uh, right. uh, Makes uh, sense. I felt really let down by it. Yeah, I can understand that for sure. Uh, I mean, I you know I liked this newest trilogy of uh, Halloween films that they just wrapped up. That David Gordon Green guy. Yeah. Uh, they got worse definitely as they went along, yep. but I enjoyed some of the kills, and it, it did recapture some of that feeling of the original films and getting John Carpenter back to do the score. It, it all hit me in the right place, and I had fun with them all. Even when I wasn't liking it all that much, I had fun with it. So, I mean, what are you gonna? What do you? What do you want for nothing? Okay. I think that's pretty much of those three genres. That's we're coming to the end, and um, yep, we're caught up chronologically. Uh, right. Well, I, I mean, there are the thises and thats of uh, everything else. I mean, Leatherface has had, I think, a few reboots. Yeah, and yeah. Sequels to the original that ignore other ones and all of that stuff. Like, there's one on Netflix even that they made, and it's it's okay. I still watch them. Uh-huh. So anyway, which of the three, you know, versus ghosts, zombies, and and and. Uh, Slashers, it would, are you calling your favorite? Well, uh, in another life, I probably would have picked Zombie for this, mm-hmm. but I think Walking Dead just kind of killed something for me for that <laughs> particular uh, genre. Because I don't go back as much and, and watch those uh, zombie movies as much as I used to before. And I think I, I attribute a lot of that to uh, the dislike of what happened with The Walking Dead. Right. It really yeah. turned me against it. Even the hullabaloo that we did not too long ago where they were talking about a sequel to 28 Days Later. When I heard it, I, I kind of was like, oh, well, yeah, that could be cool. But after a day in my ear, that news, I was like, I don't want him to do that. I don't want Killian to do that. You know, yeah. he's, he's done Oppenheimer and better things. Okay. And I just don't care that he goes back to that. So I hope he doesn't do it. And I just, I have to go with Slasher for this particular thing because I do find myself watching a lot of those, re-watching a lot of those over again every Halloween and every so often, like the Friday the 13th. I have a lot of nostalgia for that stuff, Mm. and I have fun watching it. And even the newer ones, even if the trailer doesn't look great or something, I usually end up migrating to it and watching it anyway. Like those Halloween uh, trilogy that just came out, that new one. I did watch all of them because I wanted to know, and I had fun. So, yeah, Slasher will have to do it for me on this one, but I'm pretty sure I know you're going to pick Zombie Am I right? As far as like just uh, a nostalgic admiration for the whole thing and like I said in the beginning what The Walking Dead had done for for both practical effects and pushing the limits of television uh, what television can get away with you know all that stuff and there's just that little kid in me who likes hardcore zombie gore like that I, I, I have to stick with it. I will say though I think the most potential to scare me of the three 
is ghost stuff, paranormal ghost? shit. If okay. it's done correctly, you know what I right. mean? Right. And he, well, but even when it's done poorly, <laughs> paranormal activity too had some moments where I jumped 40 feet out of my out of the couch, you know. <laughs> and then was mad that the stupid movie scared me, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So I feel like that, you know, it has to be done a certain way. I don't really feel like today's movies are the ones that are doing it. If it does fade out and come back in a new and inventive way, the way Poltergeist did back in 1982. Right. And pushes an envelope in a certain way, then yeah, I can see it. Right. Well, for me, looking back over all of the different genres that we've talked about, I can say that there's several out of each genre that really got me, really scared me. I was really into at the time. Right. And yeah. With all of them, as time pushes forward through, as they as I age with these films, yeah, you start to be a little let down by how repetitive. The, instead of breaking new ground, and I'm not saying that I could come up with something and break right. new ground. I'm, right. I'm just saying I wish someone could. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes across the board. Yep. <laughs> Movie and mo- Hollywood in general. Yeah. Not just horror. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> every fucking genre. Right. So I think on that notice, we will hit the button and bid you all adieu. And thank you very kindly for coming to visit us. Yes. Good night and good luck. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Boop. We are ending our transmission.